Today on Not Sam Wrestling, one of the most memorable three-day chunks for wrestling fans in years. We'll break it all down. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. 24 hours removed from an amazing weekend to be a wrestling fan. Here we are. I heard the calls. Where's the podcast? There's so much to unpack. Not Sam Wrestling is here. I just, at the time of this recording, I'm actually recording the podcast live while I'm watching Monday Night Raw. Um, Of course, Sunday night, I was in Orlando at the Capitol Wrestling Center for NXT TakeOver 36. We're going to get into everything that happened at TakeOver. Um, and maybe some of the, I mean, there's no real behind the scenes stories. I try to avoid all those because otherwise I'll talk about them on my podcast and people will think I'm a, I'm a leak. I'm a rat. Then woke up in the morning, did the Sirius XM radio show, got on a flight around three o'clock in the afternoon, got off the plane, spent some time with the kiddies, put them to bed. And now it's, and I'm sitting there going like, well, maybe should I record the wrestling podcast tomorrow? Should I watch Raw? And then record it on Tuesday afternoon so I could talk about what happened on Raw. But at that point, I'll be like, well, no, because then I would have to wait for NXT. And then Dynamite's on what? Like, the, the, the rate, the speed at which pro wrestling travels. I've got to do it at some point. So why not now? So if anything happens uh, on Raw, like in the first hour or hour and a half or so of the show, uh, I'll probably be reacting to it live. Bobby Lashley just looked like he got dropped on his head by Drew McIntyre just as the opening song was playing. I went, ooh. But we're not here to talk about what's going on right now. We're here to talk about the last three days and what an amazing time it is to be a wrestling fan. I don't mind the conflict. I don't mind the bickering. I don't mind the arguing. Hypocrisy, I will always point out. Bias, I will always point out. But I also don't uh, mind admitted bias. I, here's what I don't like. I don't like... Um, Willful ignorance. When you dis- when you cho- a person who chooses ignorance, I can't stand by that. And hypocrisy, I can't stand by that. Both of those things played a part. There was a lot of a thing happens in AEW. We want to talk about how ah, it's not that great. Wait till WWE. A thing happens in WWE. Oh, it's not that great. Wait till AEW. A thing happens in NXT. Oh, who cares? Or, you know, NXT is not doing good on Raw. Like. If there was ever an example, I told you guys, just as we were coming out of the pandemic, that wrestling is going to get piping hot. The idea that there is a country, an entire pop, a world, a global population of people that have been begging to get out of the house, that have been begging for a reason to celebrate for well over a year. They're now entering a world where we've got more wrestling talent out there than we've ever seen. We've got two major national, if not global, organizations. We've got a piping hot independent scene. It is an amazing time to be a wrestling fan. And if you doubted that for a second, all you had to do was open your eyes. The fact of the matter is, Monday morning, mainstream was talking about professional wrestling. Different things that happened in professional wrestling. Throughout the weekend, professional wrestling dominated the conversation. And that is an absolute blessing. 
That is exciting, man. There is stuff to talk about every day. There is stuff to talk about. Let's talk about the whole weekend. For me, I feel like the conversation begins Friday night. Mm, For the purposes of this, right around the end of SmackDown, right? I'm going to start the conversation right around 9.45 p.m. last Friday night. The John Cena-Roman Reigns segment. Now, uh, again, because we've already seen the John Cena, well, not again, this is the first time I'm saying it, I think, but because we've already seen the John Cena-Roman Reigns match, this segment isn't as necessary to break down as most, but there was an element to it that I think we should talk about because it, it was, it became part of the conversation. Roman Reigns coming out on SmackDown and putting his career on the line. I saw what a lot of people were saying. A lot of people were saying that they hated that Roman Reigns put his career on the line because it made it obvious that Roman Reigns was going to win. I felt like the SmackDown before last, when John Cena started making a big deal about being a 16-time champion and wanting to be a 17-time champion, which is really the first time they didn't make a big deal out of him tying the record. And they didn't make a big deal out of the possibility of him breaking the record. So the fact that they addressed it for the first time made me feel like, okay, you are planting a seed of doubt in the Roman Reigns plan. John Cena's whole strategy, one, two, three, one, two, three. I go, I like where this is going. John Cena hasn't said he's going to embarrass Roman Reigns. John Cena hasn't said he's going to beat the stuffing out of Roman Reigns. John Cena is not taking away the fact that Roman Reigns is an athlete that piled up to a Hall of Famer and a future future Hall of Famer, one on top of the other at WrestleMania. All John Cena is saying is that he's been in the game long enough that he can small package Roman Reigns and ruin everything and become a 17-time WWE champion. And we can absolutely see in 2021 WWE John Cena small packaging Roman Reigns at SummerSlam, winning the WWE Championship for the 17th time, and leaving for six months. That's a very WWE thing to do. So I thought the conversation was going great. Then Roman Reigns says, I am so confident that I'm going to beat you. I'll put my career on the line. I'll I'll be done. I'll leave WWE. I think he said WWE. You might have said SmackDown, but I think he said WWE. If I lose to you, John Cena. And there were people that said, that's so stupid. Why would he do that to himself? And also, it makes it very obvious who's going to win. I didn't think it made it any more obvious who's going to win. I didn't think, while I I certainly did not think that that stipulation was necessary. I don't think that, that my interest in the match would have been lessened if that stipulation wasn't there. You know, I certainly think it made for another talking point. And what it did do for me was the other thing that's very WWE is we know, we know at this point that stipulations can be tinkered with. Stipulations are not always as they appear, right? So just because a superstar says, if I lose, I'll never wrestle again, doesn't mean if they lose, they'll never wrestle again. That's not what that means. What that means is we know in this story with Roman Reigns, there's all these different uh, subplots and story developments that happen. So for me, I thought, it didn't make me think more that, oh, well, now I know. Now Roman really might lose. I, you know, I, I don't think it really changed my opinion of the match whatsoever, which I could understand the criticism. Well, why add that stipulation if it makes no impact on your anticipation for the match? 
That's true. I don't think that it was necessary to add the stipulation. But I also don't think it makes it obvious that Roman, it makes it more obvious that Roman is going to win. Because realistically, it is just as logical to think, well, they added that in because they got something up their sleeve. They got some, there's somebody else, there's somebody else in the bloodline that's going to come out and Roman is uh, is is going to be their manager. Uh, Roman is going to go disappear. Roman is going to reappear once they do the draft and show up on Raw. There's a million ways that they could do this thing where Roman actually does lose. And it would leave you with this feeling of, oh my God, what's next? Which when done correctly is kind of what you want out of a, a match like that. So I didn't think it was a bad stipulation. I thought people were overreacting um, when they said, you know, oh, this kills the match. It didn't kill the match whatsoever, but I also don't think it added all that much. So that was the end of SmackDown. And then you turn on AEW Rampage, the Friday night show, and the wrestling world gets turned on its head. You know, it was one of those, we're not going to admit it, but everybody knows the secret secret. It was one of those surprises that technically it might not happen, but there's 20,000 people confident enough that it will happen that they bought tickets to the United Center in Chicago. Like, it is going to happen. I will tell you, if CM Punk had not, and I was in the Discord room for all the Patreon folks, if you want to sign up to our Patreon, every single tier gets access to our Not Sam Wrestling Discord room. Every single tier gets the podcast early. As soon as I'm done recording it, the podcast goes up on Patreon. Every single uh, tier gets the podcast ad-free. Every single tier gets an extra podcast uh, every single week. So every Thursday, an extra podcast comes out, and it's uh, it's less than a dollar a week. So if that's something you're into, patreon.com slash wrestling. But I was talking about it in the Discord room, and I was like, no, CM Punk is definitely, he's got to show up to AEW, only because if AEW had not delivered CM Punk, it, it that's one of those mistakes, especially this early in the game, it's literally a company destroying mistake. You cannot build in. There is no swerve that would make people feel better. I mean, it, like it's the whole reason they're around. You got to deliver, and they did. I thought, I thought AEW handled it perfectly. You know, I thought the idea that the show opens on cult of personality. Boom licensing the right song, like, let's not, and, you know, there were criticisms, the people who were critical of it, and there weren't many people critical of it. I think most wrestling fans watch that segment knowing, yeah, this is this is why we watch this stuff. This, this is so freaking cool. But, you know, I, I did hear people saying that, uh, well, there's nothing new about what happened. But when you have CM Punk, you're not looking for new. Nobody is going to, it was one of the biggest crowd reactions in years and the crowd doesn't react like that if CM Punk's got a new look and a new song and a new like you want CM Punk as you know CM Punk and that's what was delivered you don't need to overthink this stuff you don't need to reinvent the wheel the wheel being CM Punk called the personality plays and instantly it's that Pavlovian audio cue that allows the audience to know it is time to lose your mind and all of our wrestling souls were 
put into the body of one young man who cried our tears. That crying CM Punk fan was crying our tears. And he wasn't one of these fans, by the way, that was mugging for the camera in the front row, you know, acting shocked because they know that there's a camera near him. That was a zoom in. That guy did not know that he was bawling on camera, but he was doing that for us. And CM Punk just takes his time walking to the ring. They take a break. So that way there's no sort of, and I think the reason they took that break right after the entrance was that way they don't have to rush to a break or, or wrap up his promo earlier than he wants it to be wrapped up. And, you know, I, I, I loved that there was no shtick to it. They plugged what his first pay-per-view match would be against Darby Allen, but there was no, like, wrestling-y thing. It's been seven years. It's been seven years since we've seen him in a ring. We don't need a run-in. We don't need a wrestling-y promo. We don't need an angle. We don't need any of that stuff. That night, on Friday night, it was just hearing from the man in the context of being a pro wrestler that we never thought we'd see again at one point and certainly questioned it throughout the seven years. Uh, I thought uh, the ice cream bars thing was great because people also said, well, that's derivative going back to the ice cream bars. And I said, no, it's not derivative. If anything, I think CM Punk's point was that it's symbolic. The fact that he never got ice cream bars in WWE but he got ice cream bars in AEW is symbolic of AEW's ability to capitalize on CM Punk. Now, I think that one day in is a little early to give AEW credit on capitalizing on CM Punk. WWE capitalized on CM Punk multiple days. So, you know, but but I did I did think that the the messaging was not lost on me. I thought it was cool. Um, it'll be really interesting to see how he fares. You know, it'll be really interesting to see if he's able to maintain his optimism in a real way. Cause that's the thing about CM Punk, even though his name is CM Punk, like he doesn't wrestle as Phil Brooks. He wrestles as CM Punk, but there is no difference between Phil Brooks and CM Punk, which is again, why it's good that he didn't come out and do a wrestling sticky thing because it wouldn't have made any sense. The character of CM Punk and the person who is Phil Brooks are, to me, one in the same. The frustrations that CM Punk has behind the scenes inevitably end up pouring out into storylines. And, we, and we've seen that throughout history. You know, we saw when he was on the independence, when he was in WWE, obviously. Like, all that real-life stuff becomes part of the story. He's not, he's not crafting this lore that doesn't exist otherwise. So even from a canon perspective, it's going to be really interesting to see if he can maintain that optimism. You know, is there is it a honeymoon period or is it the real thing? Who knows? Who knows? You know, I, I would say let's let's check in after three months. Let's check in after a year. Like, who knows? Who knows where this is going to go? But I also think that it's not up to us to decide that right now anyway. I think to say, well, this is going to be great for the, for a year. It's going to be awesome, is blindly optimistic. To say, well, I don't know. I think CM Punk is going to be miserable in weeks is overly cynical for no reason. Instead, I felt, for me, it was most 
rewarding to just live in that moment and just live in the smile that was put on my face by seeing one of my favorite superstars doing what he does again. You know, and, and that's why I liked that it. it wasn't any different than who he was when we as fans kind of fell in love with him in WWE. I thought it was great. It'll be interesting to see, you know, I think there's a big difference. People also brought up the idea of, of the whole battle cry has been put the new guys over. Don't bring in the old guys. CM Punk is now the old guy. And when he was on, when we did the bonus podcast for heels with Punk, uh, we talked a little bit about that, not in that context so much, but in the fact that CM Punk is now, you know, one of wrestling's elder statesmen. There's a big difference between legends coming in and being put over as a bigger deal than the current talent and legends coming in and putting over the current talent. You know, I thought that, for instance... Goldberg coming in and beating The Fiend and Kevin Owens, don't like, no like, no like. Goldberg coming in and losing to Drew McIntyre, I like very much. I understand that there are victories that he has to pick up. Goldberg beating Brock Lesnar so he can, I mean, not not Brock Lesnar, Goldberg beating Dolph Ziggler so he can regain that credibility and then lose next to Drew McIntyre or something like that. I'm all for it. That I'm okay with. There are some guys that it's like, okay, he's going to lose to him that way. When the legend loses to this guy, it means even more. I'm fine with that. But, but also like, and this is the, this is the, the complication of being a booker. It's like, well, you want to maintain the value of this giant star that's in your company now. So you have to figure out a way, and this is going to be the trick. Can you do this? Can you figure out a way to maintain the value of this giant mainstream star and still use him to make your younger guys more famous? And then Chris Jericho does that very, very well. I think, you know, a lot of people are better off for it after going through the labors of Jericho. I think doing the, the uh, MJF, obviously. I mean, are you kidding me? Orange Cassidy is better off for his rivalry with Chris Jericho. I think, you know, Jericho figures out how to do that. So it's, it's going to get really interesting and it's going to continue to get interesting. And that's such a good thing for all of us because it's like, okay, when, when this other wrestling company is busting out all the stops and saying, here's what we've got, that means WWE has got to do the same thing. They're fighting for eyes. They're fighting for supremacy. They want to be able to go into a room and say, we're, we're not number two, we're number one. And that's where, we're and now we've got to earn it because there's multiple organizations. That's the point that we're at now. And it's so, so good for us. It's so, so good. So that moment, which I think, you know, when you just talk about wrestling moments, that's CM Punk has Summer of Punk in Ring of Honor. Iconic, iconic, iconic. Uh, Summer of Punk in WWE, I, not the whole summer, like not the Kevin Nash stuff, but like, I think there's a f few iconic WWE periods with CM Punk. Um, the Undertaker CM Punk thing going into WrestleMania 29 was phenomenal. CM Punk coming out dressed up as Jeff Hardy 
and the whole straight edge society thing. I think that's iconic. Obviously, the pipe bomb. And Money in the Bank 2011. You know, I was thinking about it, and like there was a question, like, what are the matches that you would show a non-wrestling fan to be like, no, wrestling is awesome. Watch this match. Money in the Bank 2011, John Cena versus CM Punk is one of them. I realized this weekend, Walter versus Ilya Dragunov is another. And we'll get into that in a couple of minutes. Maybe more than a couple. But I, I think that this AEW debut ranks right there on the list with those iconic CM Punk moments for a CM Punk fan. So really amazing uh, moment to experience. Then, 24 hours after that, we've got SummerSlam in a stadium in Vegas. Uh, I, I thought, I, I loved the spectacle of it. I was surprised that there was not like a giant stage set up, but I did love the, the long aisle that kind of curved was very, very old school. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, I, overall, I thought SummerSlam was great. I had so much fun watching SummerSlam, especially like the last third of it. The, from the time, well, we'll, get, we'll, we'll take it from the beginning. And I don't know, I, I, I might forget some matches here, but so we start, the moment to start with is the moment we were really all waiting for. RK bro winning the Raw Tag Team Championship. It was necessary. It was the moment we wanted. It's 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 the the thing that we've been looking for on Monday Night Raw. By the way, I'm watching right now and I see Karrion Cross in full gladiator outfit. Oh boy. This is going to go one of two ways for Karrion Cross. Karrion Cross is looking like a road warrior and not like Hawk or Animal, like the Mel Gibson movie, Mad Max and the Road Warriors. Karrion Cross came out in a full studded gladiator helmet and the demolition straps and everything, which is interesting. I wonder if that's why at NXT he didn't have the, uh, you know, the, the gladiator flaps on his tights, that he went straight for traditional black trunks. I don't know. We'll talk about it. But RK Bro was great. Um, you know, I think they probably could have slimmed down SummerSlam by about 45 minutes or so. Um, but that's nitpicky a little bit. I, I, but, but I think you could have. Um, I thought, you know, I did after the bell with Corey Graves and Vic. Corey Graves uh, and Vic Joseph. I almost said Vic Grimes. Vic Joseph uh, leading into SummerSlam. And one of the matches that both Graves and Vic talked about. And I'm glad, uh, Graves especially, and I'm really glad that he brought it up 
was the Damian Priest-Sheamus match. I think Sheamus is a tremendously underrated talent in WWE. I, I think that when Sheamus is gone, people will really start to appreciate how good he is and was, how many different things he's been able to accomplish, how he's been able to, to, to fit into so many different scenarios. Sheamus is just really, really good. And it's interesting, like you talk to superstars, and Sheamus is one of those guys that they love wrestling. Daniel Bryan, I remember interviewing Daniel Bryan, and Sheamus is one of his favorite opponents. Sheamus is awesome. And Damian Priest, I feel like, and I think we talked about this a little bit, I think that, that pairing Damian Priest with Bad Bunny when Damian first got to the main roster was just the best thing that could have happened to Damian Priest, especially because Bad Bunny was so in. The pairing was so good. People, even the people that were skeptical about it ended up liking Bad Bunny. It kept Damian Priest out of scenarios that he couldn't win. Like, it kept him out of, like, rushing straight for the WWE Championship or, you know, winning and losing and winning and losing. It was like this thing that was happening over here, Marson and Miz, Bad Bunny, Damian Priest. I thought it was great. I think that Damian Priest's uh, rise to the main roster has probably been handled better than just about any NXT call-up in recent memory. You know, uh, I only say better than Riddle's because Riddle, I feel like it took a little bit for the main roster to really get him. It was once he started being entertaining in those promos that he really started to find his sea legs and excel. Excel. I, th I see... Matt Riddle versus Damian Priest as a potential WrestleMania or WWE Championship pay-per-view main event within a couple of years. I see Matt Riddle as being ready now. Like, I see Matt Riddle, if, if you, you know, what do we got? August, we're about to hit September. Survivor Series, it'll probably be Lashley versus Roman. Man, I could see Riddle being ready to beat Lashley for the championship by the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. I don't know that I would have Riddle win the Royal Rumble. I don't know that, that that's the story that I would tell with Riddle. I kind of want Riddle to get to the championship on his own, not, you know, win the Royal Rumble and have the fans believe in him. Like, I, I just feel like if Riddle wins the Royal Rumble to get the championship match— that's a story that we've seen. I don't know what it is about Riddle that I like, because that's the story we see every year, right? That's the Royal Rumble. But it just feels too much like Drew McIntyre. Whereas I think that you can tell a different story and get Riddle to the WWE Championship before. I could see him going into WrestleMania defending the W as the reigning defending WWE champion. That's how high I am on Matt Riddle. I think a year from now, Damian Priest will be in that conversation as well. But the RK Bro moment and the Damian Priest moment were those two moments that I was hoping for. It was that that adding a, a fresh coat to Monday Night Raw. It was putting gold on new superstars, Matt Riddle and Damian Priest. So you go on to Raw being like, okay, who are the main guys? And it's not like Riddle and Damian Priest are... These are the new guys that one day they'll be good. It's like, no, we're here, and these are the main guys. 
I, I, I love that. I think that that fresh talent is good right now. I see uh Karrion Cross is actually wrestling in the in the gladiator straps. That's interesting. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know that I like Karrion Cross as a gladiator. I can't hear commentary, so I can't fully judge it, but I don't know. I kinda like I kinda like Karrion Cross as just an ass kicker, you know? But who knows? Maybe he needs a gimmick. Um, you know, the, 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 the Alexa Bliss thing was what it was. God bless Alexa Bliss. She's just the consummate performer. Alexa Bliss is as good as it gets. Hand her whatever you want to hand her. She's going to make something out of it. And I will say this, while, you know, that match probably could have been 30 seconds and it would have been fine. Alexa Bliss is going to sell a lot of dolls. I'll tell you right now, if I was in Las Vegas this weekend, I would have bought one of those Lily dolls. And maybe it's just because I wanted to troll the internet. I don't know exactly why. But when I saw that basket of Lily dolls at the SummerSlam store, I was like, I should probably I should probably get one of those. That seems like a good idea. I thought I was going to get one of those John Cena t-shirts, but apparently I got to buy a $1,000 NFT to get one. Um. So, and then the women's triple threat. Uh, I, w I wanted Nikki Ash to win. Again, I wanted I wanted Nikki I I wanted it to be like okay we've 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 cemented that Nikki Ash is a championship contender like we've I I I thought it would have been a good time to put another woman in that conversation of here's who the title contenders are and I also you know I get nervous that Charlotte Flair is just gonna lose it right away anyway and I don't like that stuff so. I would have preferred to see Nikki Ash win, but what are you going to get? Complain about Charlotte being the women's champion? I don't know. I mean, Charlotte holding the women's championship never doesn't make sense. So she's just the greatest women's superstar of all time. So, you know, uh, what are you going to get upset? But my, if it were me, I would have been in the booking room arguing for, for Nikki Ash to actually get a clean victory. Because it's one thing to be like, well, I am almost a superhero, and I have the power to believe that I might be able to win at some point. Versus, no, we've actually seen you win a big match on a big stage. Like, this is this is the real deal. Um, you know, it was cool that Baron Corbin got a match on a pre-show, but I think the fact that Baron Corbin has been dropping social media videos in Las Vegas casinos, I think he's up like 1300 bucks last time I checked on his Twitter. Just genius, just brilliant. Some, I, whatever, whatever, oh, I'm so glad people are turning around on Baron Corbin. I'm so, there's still like a few that are kind of scoffing at this. You're idiots. If you still don't see it with Baron Corbin, then you're, then, that's what I mean. Then, then you are, you have chosen ignorance. You have chosen to give in to bias. At some point you have to turn around and go, okay, even though I thought I was living in a world where I didn't like Baron Corbin. If I'm just looking at the content that he's creating, if I'm just looking at his storytelling without any bias walking in, he's doing an incredible job. I've been a Baron Corbin fan from day one. I'm on the record. But if you're not a Baron Corbin fan today, I don't even think you watch wrestling. That's, that's what I think. So let's get into the big news-making stuff of SummerSlam. First things first, in order, I believe, chronologically of when it happened. It was heavily rumored that Sasha Banks would not be at SummerSlam. 
There's a criticism that if they knew Sasha Banks wasn't going to be at SummerSlam, they should have said Sasha Banks was not going to be at SummerSlam. If they knew, because theoretically, like Sasha Banks hasn't been on any live events and she's missed the last two SmackDowns. So theoretically, they've had a pretty good idea for over a week that Sasha Banks wasn't going to be at SummerSlam. That said, if over a week ago they knew that Becky Lynch was going to be the surprise comeback to fill in for Sasha Banks, I don't think it's an issue. I don't think, like, in like in theory, yes, if you say Sasha Banks is going to be there, Sasha Banks should be there. But there is no fan. And I'm the biggest Sasha Banks fan that you will ever find. I'm the original Sasha. Before there were Sasha Banks stands, I had already declared her as my favorite wrestler. Sasha's Ratchet, no, she's not. That era, Sasha Banks. When NXT was doing their first road shows, their first live event in Philadelphia, before TakeOver Brooklyn, way before TakeOver Brooklyn, I had already declared Sasha Banks as my favorite wrestler. So don't, don't come to me with that energy, you know. I, I'm, I'm not new to this. I'm true to this. All that said, Nobody is leaving SummerSlam wanting a refund because they got a Becky Lynch surprise return instead of Sasha Banks. Nobody. So if you know, like, if you really are replacing her with Carmella, then yes, of course you have to say, Sasha Banks isn't going to be there. I wonder, it's going to be a mystery opponent instead. But if you announce there's going to be a mystery opponent instead of Sasha Banks, then you've got people going, I wonder if it's going to be Becky. I bet it'll be Becky instead of, you know, getting the swerve on. In this scenario, it's okay to get the swerve on. Sometimes you got to get your swerve on. If they'd gotten the swerve on with CM Punk, it would have been a disaster. Getting the swerve on to show you Becky's back, not a disaster. However, things got weird. So Carmella comes out and she's like, I'm going to be the opponent. And then all of a sudden you hear, whoa, and I mean, unglued. And I'm sitting there going like, God damn, CM Punk and Becky Lynch in 24 hours of each other. I mean, we knew Becky Lynch was coming back, but just the idea that both of these over-the-top superstars are being injected back into sports entertainment within 24 hours of each other tells you everything you need to know about where the industry is at. Stadium's going nuts. Becky Lynch shows Carmella the business. Then Becky Lynch jumped outside the ring and beat up Carmella a little more, which I don't know if she had to beat up Carmella a little more. I think that I think that Carmella could have swung at Becky. Becky could have ducked it, thrown Carmella out of the ring, and we can get down to business. I don't know if Becky needed to prove her point there. Then the world gets shocked. Becky takes the mic, challenges Bianca to a match. Bianca off mic, weird choice. I would have given her a mic, accepts it. Then bell rings, Becky Lynch sticks out her hand. Boom, swerve. Becky gets her, one, two, three. 25 seconds later, squash city. Bianca Belair, after her WrestleMania moment, gets squashed at SummerSlam. I'm not gonna lie. I was laughing. 
Okay, I was laughing. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe they really did that. Because you know how people are going to react. Trust me. If anybody knows how people are going to react, I know how people are going to react. But I also sat there and went, you know, you are really messing with the goodwill that Becky gets coming back. Like, that is a wild thing to do, to spend all that time building up Bianca Belair and have Becky Lynch squash her upon her return. Like, usually when somebody on Becky Lynch's level comes back, they do something that everybody really wants to see. I felt like it left a lot of people in the stadium confused. Like, we're really happy to see Becky Lynch. She's a really big star. I didn't want Bianca Belair to get squashed. That was the energy that I was getting from that crowd. Now, something's got to give here. There was clearly a reason that that happened, right? That Like, they didn't just go like, well, yeah, obviously, Becky Lynch will come in, Bianca Belair will get squashed, and then Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair will be the 1A and 1B biggest baby faces on SmackDown. Like, that's not the plan. There was, there's there's got to be a rationale for this. One of them, I would hope, is turning heel. My, I think it would make the most sense. If, if you're going to turn either... I, I don't know what you do to, with Sasha if one of them turns heel either. I almost feel like you'd have a stronger buildup. See, I, 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 let's see, what would I have done? I would want to keep Bianca and Becky Lynch both baby faces, personally. So I would probably, I mean, can you get away with not doing a match at all? Like, maybe you have Bianca Belair beat Carmella in, like, 25 seconds. Maybe Carmella takes the squash ski, and then Becky Lynch comes out. But then Becky Lynch coming out and just challenging Sasha, I mean, Bianca Belair, is very similar to what happens at the end of the pay-per-view. So you can't really do that. I really don't know. Quite a pickle. Quite a quandary that we found ourselves in. But if I wanted both of them to be strong, good guys, I certainly wouldn't have had Becky squash Bianca Belair. Now, all that said, I don't think that that's the intention. My gut, watching the interactions and watching the way the crowd reacted is that I was, uh, my gut was that they're trying to see if Bianca Belair can pull off being a heel. That that's what they're trying to do. That, that, that Bianca's is going to use this moment to let her ego. I, I like, I like, I, she didn't seem like she was handling the defeat with humility. And there's also not a lot of sympathy that Bianca Belair, although, I mean, if you want to get sympathy for anybody, beat him in 25 seconds, right, Daniel Bryan? Like, maybe that is the creative way to get Bianca Belair some sympathy. But realistically, are you going to turn Becky? Are you going to attempt to turn Becky Lynch heel? Like, do you? Who wants to boo Becky Lynch? I don't think anybody wants to boo Becky Lynch. And why would you do that? You got one of the biggest good guys in wrestling, in all of wrestling, not just women's, in all of wrestling, in Becky Lynch. I don't know what good it does to make her a villain. I really don't. She pulls off what she's doing super well. So, yeah, man, I don't know. I was left scratching my head after this one. And I, I was a mess of feelings. 
I was really happy to see Becky Lynch back. I was right there feeling all the emotions that everybody else was feeling. And after the squash, I was like, why would you squash Bianca Belair? But I'm still happy to see Becky Lynch. I don't know how to feel right now. So like we come off from that and I loved everything about Seth Rollins versus Edge. I loved the uh, Seth Rollins entrance. I loved his gear. You know, he had a little bit of uh, Mozart to him. You know, his kick pads, they were like white. So they almost look like, uh, I don't know what those sock things are called. Like the the old like like uh, fencers or something where, I don't know. It all looked very uh, Downton Abbey. It all looked very old English to me. But it was good for Seth. It was a good change for Seth Rollins. Oh, and let's comment on Charlotte Flair. I very much liked her Thanos robe. I thought that was cool. Seth has done Thanos already. I understand, but not in the form of a big robe like that. And Charlotte, Charlotte fits Thanos, I think, better than Seth does. So I like I like Charlotte's Thanos robe. I thought that was cool. Um. So the Edge entrance was just on another level. Like I was waiting when they did the brood bath. It's a brood bath now, folks. Not a blood bath. It's a brood bath. That's how good it is. The people can overlook that it's a brood bath instead of a blood bath because we were so happy to hear the brood's music again. The brood's music is just such a colossally underrated theme song. The fact that that song doesn't come up in every conversation about the greatest music in WWE history ever is a travesty. You know, the brood, it's not like the brood was a main event faction. The brood ended up at their peak being a sub faction within the Ministry of Darkness. But God, God, if it wasn't satisfying to watch the brood get revisited. And Edge just refuses to do anything halfway, man. Edge commits. Here's the thing. I don't mind you coming back and being a part-timer if every time you show up, you are just giving every single ounce that your body can produce. Edge coming out, first of all, doing a 30-minute match with Seth Rollins is crazy. But Edge coming out, and he had the smile, and he had the glasses. I heard a story about those glasses, too. I don't want to tell anybody's business, but let's just say they weren't replicas. Edge coming, but it, but it was just so authentic. It was so authentic to the period. It was so cool, rising from the flames, coming down that ramp. And then it was really smart. It was really, really smart to then transition into, on this day, I see clearly. I just realized I'm a really good singer. It was so smart to transition into that because that is a reaction that fans, that, that it, it's a moment that's one of those audio Pavlovian things. That's something that fans want to react to. It's a stadium moment that you want to get. You know, it's awesome to see Brood Edge. But it'd be even better to see Brood Edge and Current Day Edge. And that's what we got. I thought it was great. Um, I I was 
glad that Edge won the match, and I'll tell you why. As much as I think that Seth Rollins does need a win, like I, I would like to see Seth Rollins get pushed into uh, 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 back into that main event spot. I'm just such a Seth Rollins fan. When you look at what Edge has done, like, okay, he won the Royal Rumble. He started the year really strong. But realistically, he lost his opportunity to have a one-on-one -on -one match with Roman Reigns. Then he lost the triple threat by getting stacked up upon. Like, it's not even like it, within the triple threat match, he didn't take the fall, so it's okay. Like, he got Daniel Bryan stacked on him and then got beaten, dominated by Roman Reigns. And then he did come back and get a singles match with Roman Reigns, and he still couldn't get the title. Edge can't come back to just lose matches. There's no reason for Edge to come back to just lose matches. So I think beating Seth Rollins like that reminds everybody Edge is the goddamn man, and there's nothing you can do about that. Edge is a threat of all threats. Edge is the coolest. By the way, I'm watching Raw right now, and it looks like they're booking Logan Paul as a babyface, which I will never comprehend. Um, but yeah, so so I I I support the decision to have Edge win because I think that, like I said, you can't like you you want Edge to keep having dream matches. And and I thought this was I thought this was still a great spot for Seth. I think Seth can bounce off of this and still be fine. It was still one of, if not the best match on SummerSlam. Uh, it, it was awesome. Goldberg versus Lashley. I was not. I was not thrilled with the finish. I hated the finish. I hated that it was a referee stoppage. That said, I thought what happened after the finish made up for it. I thought the referee stoppage was lame. Clearly, we're going to get another Goldberg-Lashley match. On the surface, that doesn't excite me at all. You know, I want Goldberg to finish out his contract. Goldberg's the opposite of Edge for me. I feel like Goldberg has won enough matches to last a lifetime. I don't need to be reminded that Goldberg can win matches. Like, at this point, I want Goldberg to come in for however many matches are left on his contract and lose to everybody. Just, just go on. I mean, Kurt Hawkins lose to everybody. Go on a streak, you know? Because I think people can benefit from beating Goldberg. I think that Goldberg can't have more than three matches left on his contract. So if he's going to lose three in a row, everybody would still benefit from that. Even the last guy who like Goldberg has lost his last however many matches, even that last guy would still benefit from beating Goldberg. And I think that that's where that's that's where that's the that's where Goldberg's at right now. I think that's that's uh his value is that people will tune in to watch him. People will buy tickets to watch him and it can be a big deal if somebody beats him still. And I think people are disappointed if he wins. He was getting booed at SummerSlam, which isn't a catastrophe it's goldberg you know it's not it, it it is what it is but you know all things considered there's no reason not to have him lose matches unless you want to build this rematch now the people i was watching SummerSlam with were like oh is goldberg's son gonna wrestle and it's like he's as pat McAfee pointed out a sophomore in high school 
He's a kid. He can't wrestle. He's 15. But I love Bobby Lashley beating him up. I thought Bobby Lashley putting the hurt lock on Goldberg's kid made up for the whole thing. I was left going like, what? An eight-minute Goldberg match, and then it ends by referee stoppage? But then when the kid came out, Bobby Lashley just locked him. And MVP tried to say he didn't know that was Goldberg's kid, but Lashley knew it was Goldberg's kid. And then Goldberg's pissed because, and he can't really walk. I I thought the ending was great. I loved the ending. I love Goldberg's kid getting beaten up. I I, I said on paper, I'm not interested in another, in another Goldberg versus Lashley match, but the fact that they put hands on Goldberg's kid, all right, all right, okay, I'll check out how the rest of this story plays out. I like seeing Lashley just destroy. I like seeing him destroy people. And the fact that they went that far, I thought was really cool. So I liked I liked the ending. I thought the ending saved the finish. As as convoluted as that sounds. That that was how I was feeling about it. Um on to the main event. Unless I'm forgetting anything. Roman versus Cena. Um I thought every bit of it was great. I liked all, all of the Roman versus Cena match. I thought the storytelling was great. I loved Cena uh, coming in and consistently trying to get near falls. I loved him being obnoxious. That's two. Oh, so good. Roman, I mean, Roman got so much offense in on Cena. Cena was very giving throughout that match. Cena allowed the story to be told. Cena left no doubt. Roman left no doubt. At the end of that match, Roman Reigns won because he was the better man. But I was on the ride with them, man. The false finishes. It was just that is what a WWE main event should feel like. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. So much fun. It was just fun. It was like sitting there, eating popcorn, watching your favorite movie, not asking every question. Why would he do that? Why would she do that? Why'd they say that could never happen in real life? No. It's about eating popcorn and having fun. And that match to me was just a barrel of monkeys. It was so much fun. It told a great story. Made Roman Reigns look better. Made John Cena. I mean, I don't know how you don't respect John Cena even more somehow after that match. John Cena said he's not coming back until... uh, 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 WrestleMania in the promo on SmackDown, which is horrible news for Finn Balor. Poor Finn Balor. Finn Balor needs a televised victory over John Cena immediately. I was hoping it would happen at the Madison Square Garden SmackDown. John Cena says he's not coming back, which makes me think that maybe that Madison Square Garden SmackDown will be a John Cena dark match. Um, So poor Finn Balor. He's going to have to figure out how to recover from just completely getting ignored out of his world title match. I, I, He was a rock star for two weeks on SmackDown, though, man. His first two weeks back on SmackDown, rock star. I'll never forget those two weeks, Finn. Then. That's Brock Lesnar. That's that, that's that, that, that sound at the beginning of the Brock Lesnar music. Boom, 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 boom. If you don't understand what a great pro wrestler, sports entertainer, WWE superstar, if you don't understand how good Brock Lesnar is at this stuff, 
Brock Lesnar is so good. Go back and watch Brock Lesnar matches. When he's performing, watch the way he sells. Watch the stuff he did with Samoa Joe. Watch the stuff he's done with Roman Reigns. Like, watch some of this stuff. The stuff he did with AJ Styles. Watch that. Watch his AJ Styles stuff. Watch the way he sells when Drew McIntyre eliminates him from the Royal Rumble in 2020. Watch the way he reacts to Keith Lee when Keith Lee enters the Royal Rumble match. Brock Lesnar knows how to tell stories. Brock Lesnar knows how to do this stuff. Brock Lesnar is an underrated genius. He is God level when it comes to professional wrestling. And I'll tell you why I felt that at SummerSlam. I'm sitting there in this state of bliss. You mean to tell me within 24 hours, we get CM Punk, Becky Lynch, and Brock Lesnar. And you mean to tell me with all the rumors, I love that Brock Lesnar is always rumors. Always rumors with Brock Lesnar. I don't know. I heard he's going to AEW. Somebody slid into my DMs and they told me I have a good authority that Brock Lesnar is going to AEW. And I went, oh, I hope not. I really hope not. And then to see Brock Lesnar show up on SummerSlam, I'm like, yeah, baby. Yes. Yes. And I'll tell you why Brock Lesnar is so good. Because I'm, I'm sitting here in this state of bliss. I get to see all this stuff happening right in front of my face on the Peacock Network, which, by the way, you can see Ultimate SummerSlam. Maybe I'll talk about Ultimate SummerSlam right after we're done with SummerSlam. And you can tell that Brock Lesnar is a babyface. You know how you can tell he's a babyface? The way he smiles, the way he moves, the way he walks, the way he carries himself. Everything that Brock Lesnar does was, did was screaming babyface, and he never said a word. There was no mystery. There was no mystery as to who the good guy was and who the bad guy was. And Brock Lesnar did something that he hasn't done in, I mean, when was the last time Brock Lesnar was a babyface? Was it 2002? When Paul Heyman turned on him at Survivor Series 2002? Was that the last time Brock Lesnar tried to be a good guy? Because Brock Lesnar is a straight up good guy. Ponytail Brock Lesnar is a hero to the children. And that's what we saw at SummerSlam. Watching Paul Heyman react. Oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. Roman Reigns still looking tough. Still looking like this is his table and he's the head of it. This is my show. Brock Lesnar going like, no, no, here's the thing. Good guy Brock Lesnar is self-aware Brock Lesnar. I'm aware of what I'm capable of, Roman Reigns. That's the Brock Lesnar that we saw. Oh, so freaking good. And I was arguing with somebody on Twitter about it. You know, they go, Brock and Roman, same shit. And I go, first of all, just in terms of, and again, it's not even an argument I want to have. Because I don't even like comparing, oh, whose return was better? Which moment was the best? I don't, we don't need to compare like that. I don't anyway. Some people do. And I don't mind when they do. But I don't need to compare like that. But logically speaking, and as I said, I like logic. I don't like hypocrisy. And I don't like, uh, uh, uh. Uh, chosen ignorance, willful ignorance. But if you're like, like if you think that Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns is the same thing, like if you if what you saw at SummerSlam felt like something you had seen before, but then you were like, it was so great to see CM Punk, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, yes, in wrestling, we see the same things. 
However, there are different ways to tell similar stories. CM Punk on AEW had many in, many aspects of CM Punk that were exactly the same as what we saw in WWE, but clearly, it's a different guy. It's a different time. He said he got a different place in the industry now. Like, there's nothing that's the same about anything that he's doing or that he did on Friday nights. When you look at SummerSlam and you see Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, this couldn't be more different. The only thing that's even similar about the previous Roman Reigns-Brock Lesnar matches to this one, ironically, are that the same individuals are involved. Other than that, it is completely different. You're looking at Brock Lesnar, who's got a goddamn ponytail and a beard, and is a good guy, is a hero, is going to get cheered going into this thing without irony. When Brock Lesnar gets cheered going into his eventual match with Roman Reigns, it's not going to be like, oh, they didn't plan on this. It's going to be like they planned on every single clap that is clapping for Brock Lesnar right now. When Roman Reigns shows up and gets booed, it's not going to be like, oh boy, they're rebelling against the chosen one. It's going to be like, hey, this story is being told to a T. You've got Roman Reigns, who has lost every aspect of humility, who has determined and declared himself not only the number one superstar in the WWE, but the person who is singly responsible and solely responsible for the fiscal success of other WWE superstars. The guy that is keeping the company afloat. He's declared himself as that. Brock Lesnar is not coming out as a prize fighter anymore. Brock Lesnar is not coming out as a silent killer that is entering the main event because he's going to make a lot of money and take the title hostage. Brock Lesnar is coming out to shut up Roman Reigns and to hold Paul Heyman's feet to the fire. You've got good guy Brock Lesnar. You've got bad guy, completely different character than anything we've ever seen before, quite frankly. Michael Jordan era Roman Reigns. And then you've got Paul Heyman on the other side of the ring that feels natural. This isn't Paul Bearer managing mankind where like every time you see Paul Bearer, you know I'm associating him with The Undertaker. When Paul Bearer managed mankind, when Paul Bearer managed Kane, the only reason that he was there was as a plot device to further the rivalry between The Undertaker and Mankind and The Undertaker and Kane. When Paul Heyman is at ringside for Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar, it is not simply and solely to further the rivalry between Brock and Roman. It is because Paul Heyman is a natural part of the Roman Reigns story. It is because Paul Heyman is an essential part of the Roman Reigns character arc that we are living through. Paul Heyman was an essential part of the Brock Lesnar story arc. We don't even know where his loyalties lie. It seemed like with Roman, because Roman is the champ, but Paul Heyman was terrified. Paul Heyman was torn. Paul Heyman was not, didn't have any of the confidence that Roman Reigns had when Brock Lesnar came out there. 
I thought the whole thing was brilliant. I cannot imagine leaving SummerSlam not having goosebumps, going crazy, going like, okay, they showed up. They are showing up. What an incredible ending to a very good SummerSlam. So much good stuff at SummerSlam. Then we get to take over. Now, before we got to take over, of course, it was all on Peacock. And if you got Peacock, don't forget to do the old search ski for Not Sam. You can get the entire season now of Not Sam Wrestling on Peacock. You can also get a new episode of The Ultimate Show. We did The Ultimate SummerSlam for Peacock. Uh, so anybody that's been watching, if you haven't watched The Ultimate Shows, if you listen to this podcast, I think you'll really enjoy it. They're letting me fantasy book on Peacock. It's insane. Um, but it was a really fun episode, The Ultimate SummerSlam. So check that out if you haven't seen it. Uh, you can also check out, I don't know if they keep the pre-shows on Peacock, but you can definitely check out not only the pre-show to NXT 36 um, on WWE's YouTube channel, but also on WWE's YouTube channel, my co-host for the pre-show, Mackenzie Mitchell, joined me to wrap up the night where we talked about all the matches that we saw at TakeOver 36. And I'm going to tell you right now. You all know my track record. First of all, let's give credit where credit is due. In the history of the industry, there is nobody that comes close to being a part of as many NXT pre-shows as your boy, the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts. Nobody comes close. If my count is right, I believe we're at 21. 21. There's 36 takeovers. 21 of them, your boy, Sam Roberts, is the one hyping you up for these things, okay? Secondly, you look at my track record. We've talked about it before. This isn't even for main roster pre-shows. Let me tell you something. I've done my share of main roster kickoff shows, okay? Go back in time. You see me at the Royal Rumble, at SummerSlam, at WrestleMania. At roadblock end of the line, money in the bank, hell in a cell. I've done them all. I've done them all. You could catch me rubbing shoulders with JBL, Booker T, sitting there with Renee Young and Jonathan Coachman, Charlie Caruso, all of them, all of them, okay? But really when you pay attention to these NXT pre-shows, and this is why you got to watch these NXT pre-shows, there's never been a star maker like me. I've talked about this so many times, but it bears repeating. Look who has co-hosted the NXT pre-shows with me. Let's go down the list. Pat McAfee, SmackDown, color commentary. Jimmy Smith, play-by-play, Monday Night Raw. Mansoor, Monday Night Raw superstar. Andy Shepard did War of the Worlds with me, the voice of NXT UK. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's four fingers right now. If you don't think that that four horsemen sign becomes a full hand after this weekend's NXT TakeOver pre-show, then I don't know what you were watching. I'm going to tell you right now, this isn't to take anybody else's credit. This isn't to be a glory hog. I did it again. Mackenzie Mitchell, mark my words, will be the next Sam Roberts NXT pre-show success story. 
There's no doubt in my mind. You saw it for yourself. There's a reason that they asked us to do the, the wrap-up show at the end of it. People know, Sam, you did it again. You made another star. Now, I think, you know, I'm going to, my, my role is very, very, very valuable. I'm going to be there to keep making stars, and I'll keep making stars. But in all seriousness, Mackenzie Mitchell did an incredible, incredible job. There's a lot of stuff. Oh, my God, the Miz just turned on John Morrison. I never would have thought in a million years. Miz turned on John Morrison. That is terrible. It could be good for John Morrison. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a tough gig, the pre-show. It's live. It's a lot of talking. It's a lot of traffic. It's a lot of moving parts. It's a lot of timing. A lot of stuff is up in the air. It's a lot to juggle. It, I've seen people do very well with it. I've seen people do not very well with it. And the fact that this was Mackenzie Mitchell's first time doing a pre-show and she handled it like she was a professional, she handled it like she had been there a hundred times before, blew me away. She was great. Go back and watch it for yourselves. You'll see what I'm saying. Anybody that wants to do pre-shows, watch Mackenzie. She did great. Now let's talk about takeovers. First of all, incredible, incredible show. I don't know what happens with NXT going forward. I don't think anybody knows. But what I do know is they left it all out there. I watched people leave the ring beaten to smithereens. People got beat up at TakeOver. It was amazing to see. Quite frankly, I'm surprised Karrion Cross was on Monday Night Raw after the match that he had with Samoa Joe less than 24 hours from the time of Monday Night Raw. Oh, my God. The Miz is dropping John Morrison with a skull-crushing finale. That is disgusting. So I think the NXT stars, they showed up. They showed up. They said, I don't know what TakeOver is going to look like going forward, but I'm going to make sure that tonight's TakeOver looks exactly like we want it to look. And top to bottom, I thought it was amazing. I mean, the match that we got, like the thing about Cameron Grimes and LA Knight, is they're so entertaining, right? And, like, that could be a comedy match. But what they do that I think separates that rivalry and is it makes it one of those rivalries that, that I don't tire of at all. I could see it go on forever. Is that they do all the vignette stuff, all the entertainment stuff, all the fun ha-has on TV building up. The match is built up on entertainment value. And then they get to the match. And it's as physical as anything you could imagine. They just go to town on each other. It's just so, I mean, physical, is the, it's aggressive. It's in your face. It's so good. It's so good. And I love, I love that. I love that the, the, this thing that could go one way goes a completely different way. And now it's like all fun leading up to the match. But once they get into the ring, it's deadly serious. I thought the right person won. I love Cameron Grimes' gear. Great ending to that story. Perfectly done. I don't know where Cameron Grimes goes from here. I don't know if he keeps DiBiase. Quite frankly, I don't even know if he keeps the million-dollar title. I'd be okay with the million-dollar title going away. I think that the million-dollar title ends up being really good for certain storylines, but to see it actively defended on a regular basis, like then you end up with guys like Virgil holding it, which nobody wants to see again. Um, the... Uh, 
the women's championship match, I I thought Dakota Kai had a coming out party, man. She was great. She was so good. I thought that Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai did such a good story, a good job of telling this story, of like telegraphing each other's moves. You know, such a good job of displaying how well they know each other. So many good counters, so many good uh, just moments of, oh, I saw that one coming. Oh, I got you there. I got you there. One-upsmanship. I thought it was really good. I, I loved that that we saw Dakota push Raquel Gonzalez so far, and then Raquel Gonzalez get the win. I thought that match was really, really good. Um, As I said earlier on this podcast, and it goes for both matches, but I felt eyes get opened at TakeOver. I felt people realize when Ilya Dragunov and Walter had their match at NXT UK, and it was really cool that Rob Armstrong, who was on the pre-show with us, got to talk about actually getting to be in the building for that thing. Because like he said, there were 20 people in there. It was, for all intents and purposes, an empty building. And they had this match in there that, like I said, it was my favorite match of 2020. It's one of the only pandemic matches that I will absolutely go back and watch multiple times. And not sit there and be like, oh, I miss the fans. It's like, you forget about it. Because it's so brutal, violent, real. Just striking. And all the holes, they, they make sense. And they look legitimate. There's an authenticity to it that is just outrageous. You just forget the entire surroundings of the world around you. And to see that match at TakeOver... It was, I predicted on After the Bell, it would be the best match of the weekend. It was the best match of the weekend. I mean, it was the one match that made the Capitol Wrestling Center, all due respect to every other match, you know, there have been so many great matches in the Capitol Wrestling Center. But this is the match that truly made you forget you weren't in an arena. They did it again. Like, the fact that they pulled it off in front of no fans made pulling it off in front of 300 fans feel like a stadium for WrestleMania. I feel like WWE should be putting this match on a pedestal. WWE on Raw, on SmackDown, on the next pay-per-view should be like, yo, guys, I know you already got Peacock. This is what we got on these shows that you might not be watching. This is the type of content we have. And then, like, I love... It's just so cohesive, man. Everything just makes sense. Like, the idea... I did not see it coming, by the way that Ilya got not only a clean victory, but a tap-out victory and ended with his foot on top of Walter. Ilya not only beat Walter, he completely conquered Walter. Like, people were saying, does this mean there's a rubber match? Ilya Dragunov beat Walter so convincingly that to me, there is no need for a rubber match. I feel like Walter may be on his way to the main roster. And who knows what happens to Walter on the main roster? Who knows? But I felt like I felt like this was it for Walter. I don't I don't think there's any coming back. And as I said, you let things play out. There are a lot of people who did not like the finish 2 weeks ago when Pete Dunne beat Ilya Dragunov 2 weeks before takeover. Guess what? 
Pete Dunn versus Ilya Dragunov is baked in now. We're going to get to, and I hope, I hope that they can wait till the next takeover, but I don't know when that'll be. I feel like there'll be a TV special before the next takeover, and that's probably where they'll do Pete Dunn versus Ilya Dragunov. But God, do I want to see it. Oh my God. I mean, think about what Ilya Dragunov has done on NXT television in three weeks. Pete Dunn, classic. Roddy Strong, classic. Walter, classic of all classics. So great. So much fun. And I mean, those guys, they beat the shit out of each other. It was awesome. Awesome. I don't know how you can watch that match and not be into it. I'll tell you what caught me off guard. Not that Kyle O'Reilly beat Adam Cole, but that the fans were not happy about it. I didn't, now, no part of me thinks that Kyle O'Reilly is as popular as Adam Cole is. But the fact that we went in knowing Adam Cole was the bad guy and Kyle O'Reilly was the good guy, and fans did not want to see Kyle O'Reilly win. They chained a bullshit when Kyle O'Reilly won. Fans didn't want to see it. This is another spot where Adam Cole is clearly done with NXT. And Adam Cole should be done with NXT. But I really think... I mean, I think, and people, you know, there were even more comments this week. Nick Khan did an interview with Ariel Hawani, and he talked about going forward, they're going to go back to focusing on uh, not having just uh, uh, independent wrestlers come to WWE, but to have uh, athletes, like elite athletes, try out and everything like that. And look, on one end, yes, when you looked at it, you're like, Roman Reigns didn't do independent wrestling. John Cena did a little bit. John Cena wasn't an athlete. I guess he was a lifter. Batista, no independent wrestling. I mean, all the, you know, obviously. But, like, it's interesting because Hulk Hogan had a wrestling career before he was in WWE. Stone Cold Steve Austin was a journeyman wrestler. The Rock, while he was created, it wasn't like The Rock was literally just playing for the Miami Hurricanes and then was like, oh, maybe I'll try wrestling. He came from a wrestling family. That's a little different. When you look around, it's like, look, I mean, some, that's the problem. Like, it's not a catch-all to me. I think there are people who are athletes that WWE can train to be superstars that are going to be giant superstars. I also think there are independent talent that can also become giant superstars. You know, you go like, uh, I mean, it's the guys who you don't remember are former independent superstars that transfer themselves over to WWE superstars that I think become the most successful. Nobody thinks of Seth Rollins. Nobody, nobody thinks of, of Seth Rollins as existing outside of WWE. Oh, where did Seth Rollins come from? Nobody thinks about the age of the fall. Nobody thinks about his Ring of Honor career. They don't look at him like that. They look at Dean Ambrose like that, yeah, or, or John Moxley like that, yeah. And by the way, and, but that's by design on John Moxley's part. That's not a slight in any way, shape, or form. That's a choice that people make. Damian Priest, nobody thinks about Punishment Martinez. Nobody thinks about the fact that he was wrestling before he was in WWE, like all this stuff. So, you know, I hope that they're not putting blinders on on any side of things personally. But I do feel like if it happens... Adam Cole is going to be the exception to the rule. People are saying, well, if Adam Cole comes to the main roster, 
you know, he's not going to get used. Personally, I think that Adam Cole has a better shot on the main roster than Walter, unfortunately. Not unfortunately, unfortunately for Walter, not unfortunately for Adam Cole. I think Walter and Adam Cole should both be major successes on the main roster, and maybe they will be. But I think Adam Cole is going to go more the AJ Styles path. I think that Adam Cole is that exception. I think Adam Cole is a very, very, very special talent. And I think that WWE has to be aware that while, yes, the philosophy is shifting. And while, yes, the way they look at developmental and NXT is shifting. Also have to pay attention to the, the, the industry. And the idea that, like, Adam Cole would be an insane signing for AEW. So not only, and you shouldn't just keep people under contract so the other guys don't get them. But I think that that is going to be one of these things where it's like, well, then we let's keep him. And if we're going to keep him, let's do something with him. And if something is done with Adam Cole, I think that Adam Cole will do it to, better than anybody could. I have no idea what's going on with Adam Cole. I don't know where he's going. I don't know if he's staying with NXT. I don't know anything about it. But I do feel like we should enter this era where there's an expectation that people leave NXT. After, you know, that, that NXT is not a spot that people stay in for years. I think that'll make NXT actually more exciting. If there's an, just a constant transfer of talent. You know, And I think that that's going to be good for talent too. It's like there's so many places to work. If you're not going to make it on the main roster, you should not just stay in NXT. All that said, there's no reason why Adam Cole can't be a main eventer on the main roster. And quite frankly, I think he will be. My gut feeling is that Adam Cole will be a main roster main eventer. Maybe I am insanely naive. You're sitting there saying, Sam, on this podcast, we just had a conversation about Finn Balor. I understand. Different things happen for different people at different times for different reasons. At one, Sometimes Finn Balor is a main eventer. Finn Balor won the Universal Championship. Finn Balor pinned Roman Reigns. Then it went south. I think that if Adam Cole can maintain momentum, and there's no reason for me to think that he can't, he will get the audience on his side, and I, I think he'll be successful. And that's that's where I'd like to see. I'm a WWE guy, though. Everybody knows this. So that's where I'd like to see him be successful. And then, of course, the championship match. Obviously, we know Karrion Cross is sticking around on Raw. Um, so great to see Samoa Joe back. Samoa Joe just looking big, too. Looking big, looking powerful. Uh, really cool to see him get to wrestle on this level again. I think this is great. If Samoa Joe just comes out and wrestles in NXT... I, I he probably won't wrestle on television very much. Like if he just if he becomes kind of the new Finn Balor, you know, I, I, I like the idea. I mean, and it goes back to that ECW philosophy where you have your one legend. I think Samoa Joe should be to NXT what Terry Funk was to ECW. And it's crazy because you don't think about Samoa Joe like you think about Terry Funk. But for NXT, the 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 analogy makes sense. And Terry Funk was the ECW champion. Like, I like the idea of Samoa Joe being there as, as the one legend and then having a bunch of younger guys coming in and, like, Samoa Joe's the king and he's got the title and 
it's going to mean something when somebody beats him for it. And, you know, I, I, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a really good thing, and I'm really happy to see Samoa Joe back in the ring. It was just so cool. Just being backstage, seeing him back in the red and the black, I, you know, just awesome. Awesome. I'm a big Samoa Joe fan, so. But you guys probably know that already. So that's what I thought. That was those, 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 I think I got everything in. Those were my kind of takeaways from the entire weekend. Just an outrageously amazing weekend just to be a wrestling fan. And man, we'll see where everything goes. We've already seen at the time of this recording. Again, I'm watching Raw. I watched Karrion Cross come out in a gladiator outfit. I watched The Miz turn on Morrison. I'm glad that that finally happened. I was waiting. You know, it's one of those things that you've been waiting for for a long time. Probably got slowed down because of the Miz's injury, but that's cool. I'm glad that John Morrison is babyface. You know, I think it's going to be real good for John Morrison. I like seeing uh, 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 Damian Priest in the mix with the main eventers. Anxious to see what's going to happen on Wednesday. Anxious to see what's going to happen on Friday. Anxious to see what's going to happen on Tuesday. Anxious to see what's going to happen on Friday again. It's going to be great, man. It's a great time to be a wrestling fan. I'm glad that you guys are here with me. Don't forget to sign up over at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash notsamwrestling. All of our interviews go up, uh, generally speaking, the same day they drop on the podcast. So obviously no interview this week. Uh, unless something earth-shattering happens, we will have an interview next week that I'm very happy to share with you. So that's when we'll talk again. Have a good one. See you later, everybody. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.